be seated. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, we're honored and we're privileged to be in your presence. Lord, we thank you that you are present. Father, help us be present. Open our hearts, our minds, to receive the things that you want to speak so that we can be changed. Lord, we want to be made different as a result of being with you today. So be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing in our series in the epistle of the letter in 1 John. It's kind of snapshots through those chapters of what John was writing to the church. Now, quick reminder is John, this was probably one of the last books written for the New Testament. John was an older man, probably in his 90s by now. And he's writing a letter directly to the church that has taken formation over the last 50 years since Christ's ascension. And he's confronting some things that are going on within the church, things of heresy, things that are causing division, and things that are causing people to question truth. And John reminds the church that, hey, in case you forgot, I was there. I, I put my head to Christ's chest at the Last Supper, and I heard the heartbeat of God. I saw the miracles that took place. John's saying, I was, there. I was a witness. So I'm not just telling you this secondhand, I'm telling you this firsthand. And as firsthand, he's telling the church or reminding the church so that it would not be shaken or split by those who are bringing false doctrine or false teaching. And he's reminding the church there's a clear difference between light and darkness, good and evil, truth and lies. He tells the church there's a power in fellowship when you're in fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And that fellowship is only left for the church, not for the world. It's a gift to the church. Because fellowship is koinonia, it's community. And the world can't have that if it's not in Christ. But it's a gift to us to have that fellowship with God, that fellowship with one another. There's a reminder that Jesus is the incarnation, that God became flesh and what? Dwelt among us. There is no other teaching. And if it's another teaching opposite of that, it's false. That Jesus is that atoning sacrifice. That he is the one who paid the price for our debt. And he is the one who brings us into a relationship with the Father. He is the atoning sacrifice for the world. John's reminding the church, don't lose sight of this truth. That we're learning to live this life or a life that is a confessed life. That, that those things that come up within our lives, that we don't hold those burdens, but we turn them over, recognizing what Christ has done for us. He's reminding the church that you're unique in Christ. Did you know you're unique? Yeah, I know some of you are like, yep, I'm unique, all right. <laughs> in Christ. He took your former uniqueness, critiqued it, and made you new. And we're unique in Christ. We're unique in that relationship. And what John is saying is, listen, there's a radical difference between the children of God and the children of this world. There's a clear line of separation. John makes a clear distinction about those who are in Christ and those who are in the world. 1 John 1, 3 says this. 1 John 1, 3, 1. See what love the Father has given us. That we should be called children of God. That is what we are. 
The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. There's a clear distinction between his kingdom and the world. And the love the Father has given us redefines us. And John gives that definition. And it redefines us as children of God. I want you to say it with me. Say it. Children of God. That's who we are. We're redefined. And God loves us so much that he sent his son into the world for us to be that atoning sacrifice, to have a relationship with the Father. Jesus loved us so much that he would lay down his life for us. So when he laid down his life, we can have an eternal life with him. And when we surrender our will for the Lord's will, we believe in Jesus. That's where we become children of God, children of the King. That's the transformation. That's the change that occurs. We are now born of God, adopted heirs of his kingdom. Say that's good news. That's good news. John goes on in verse 2. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And there's a theology statement that we have to understand. It's called already, but not yet. That we are already in the kingdom, but we do not yet see it in all its glory. But we will. We are in his kingdom now. Already. Children of God. But not yet have we seen the fullness of his glory. And he's brought his kingdom to the earth through his church. That we would know that that's being made known in us and through us. And in verse 3 he says, And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. See, our hope in him to purify ourselves as he is pure is our continuing transformation to be Christ-like. That's our hope in him. That hope that is eternal is in him that continues to change us, to transform us into his image. That already but not yet, that we're being formed and, and molded and shaped into that image of Christ and who he is as a child of God in his kingdom. As Christians, we cannot love the world because the world does not know him. That there can't be a division of loving the world and loving the Lord. Now we're called to love the world in the Lord. But there's this clear definition. When we love the world, we gain the world's what? Rewards. Parents have this saying, I don't know how good it is, but we've all done it. You get what you deserve. It's been said to me more than once in my lifetime. You know, you make that wrong decision, whatever it is, but you kind of get what you deserve. And, 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 and when we seek those world rewards, that's what you reap. But the world rewards are temporary. They're self-seeking. They're unfulfilling. They bring division, and they lead to death. When we love the Lord, we gain an eternal reward. And John's reminding the church there's an eternal reward. That separation of the world and his kingdom. His eternal reward is what? 
forever. It's eternal. It's a gift that he gives. The eternal reward is selflessness, fulfilling. It brings unity and an eternal life. John's reminding the church of these two things. And we, as the church, have to be reminded ourselves that, that sinfulness is lawlessness. And sinfulness will bring chaos, a lack of control, and rebellion. Anyone been there? Don't raise your hand. Sinlessness, sinlessness is righteousness. That's godliness, decency, being morally sound. And when John says that we stop sinning, that we no longer go on sinning, what John is saying, hey, church, we need to sin a little less. That we become sinless. That, 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 that God consciousness, that awakening has happened within us. And God loves us uh, so much that that love he has for us should wreck our sinful behavior. Because his love has now become alive in us. That we're no longer going on down that road or that path that we've been heading. But we're made alive in that love he has for us. And as we take on his righteousness, his holiness, his purity, it leads us to do the right thing. It leads us to a place to have a God consciousness now. His love, his spirit becomes alive in us. And now we have this God consciousness. We had a consciousness when we were in the world, but we pick and choose what we want to do. When we're in his kingdom and he's made alive in us, that God consciousness begins to lead us to that place, to that call to respond in who he's called us to be. And when you encounter that perfect love of God, his holiness, his righteousness and purity, we are changed. And those who resist God's love are in the world and remain lawless. And it's amazing to me that we get so upset when the world doesn't do the right thing. Why won't they do what they're supposed to do? They're in the world. That's why God sent his only son, to go into the world. And we get frustrated, and then we get lose our minds in social media, yelling at the world that it won't behave like Christ. No kidding. That's not new news. That's why we're here. And, and we, 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 we know as we are being transformed in Christ-likeness, we're called to lead the world. See, the hope isn't to get the world into the church. The hope is to get the church into the world. In Christ-likeness, that's in us. And what John's saying is to do that, you got to do the right thing. And doing the right thing is what's right according to God's righteousness. Righteousness is the right way, and we're called into doing the right thing. And I'm starting a new campaign to do it in his righteousness or to do it the right way, and I'm calling it DTRT, do the right thing. We get so upset in the world when someone, we, we put expectations of people in the world, and then they don't do the right thing, and we get upset. Why are we getting upset? They're in the world. But those who are in Christ need to respond differently than those who are in the world. 
John says you got to do the right thing. John continues to define how we can do this. And he defines how God so loved the world. And as you can remember in John 3.16, he writes in that gospel message, that's a message that goes to the world. First John's a message to the church. And that gospel message all throughout John is God's love. And, and how desperately we need that love. And we're very familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world, what church? That he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but what? Have eternal life. Here's the cool thing. In 1 John 3.16, he answers that question. He tells us what that love is. He picks up again in 1 John 3.16. And he says this, we know love by this. That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. That's the witness of that love. Amen. And let me tell you something. It's easier to lay down your life and just die. It's harder to lay down your life continually. <laughs> like, you know, I lay down my life, boom, over. I'm with Jesus. Woohoo! <laughs> I got to lay down my life again, Lord, and again, and again. Yup, because he loved us. And he first laid down his life for us. And he's welcomed us into his kingdom. He called us to himself. We identify who he is and what he's done. He goes on in verse 17 through 18. I'm, yes, uh, 17 through 18. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? He identifies the church again in verse 18. That that new identity of who you are. And he says, little children, let us love, not in word or in speech, but in truth, in action. Amen. You ever have someone tell you how much they love you, but they don't live it out? <laughs> well, we're called to put that love and live it out in truth and action. Not so much in the words that we speak. In truth, meaning that we will not waver, that we will not compromise God's righteousness, his right way. That that truth is about doing the right thing in others' lives. It's about bringing that truth into others' lives. And when the world is proclaiming what's not true, what's false, we proclaim louder the truth. But we show the truth in our actions. We show that truth with one another. See, we, we're called to first start there in that relationship of who Christ is as children of God. And John's telling the church, hey, listen, if you're going to reach the world, you've got to start first with one another. And we want to be in truth and action and love with one another in such a way when the world looks at the church, it says, how do I get what they have? Why is it different? Why does their sorrow turn to joy? Why do they have a hope when things seem hopeless? Why do they have a peace when my life is in pieces? We have a hope that's eternal. We have a truth that we're called to live by. We have a promise of an eternal life that Christ gives us as a gift. And he says to the church, you first live in truth and action. And we know love by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we're to lay down our lives for one another. And if we struggle with picking up the phone when a brother or sister calls, how on earth are we going to love the world? 
I say this often, but we have to be reminded. I think the enemy's plan is to keep us so busy that we miss God. That we have so much going on in our life, we're forgetting what it means to take time in loving each other and showing that love. See, our love is realized not in word or speech, but in truth and action. So how do we love in truth and action? And what John says is by serving others. How do you refuse that love for another? How do you refuse when you have your needs met, yet you're not serving those around you? That love should be realized in our truth and our action. Love in action is about doing the right thing. Our love in action reflects Christ's likeness as a children of God. See, love leads to action, and our action leads others to his love. And that's what he's called the church to do. That's what he's reminding the church when John writes this letter, to not be swayed to hold fast to the teachings of the faith. And my prayer is that our love would lead to action and that our action as a community in Christ would lead others to Christ's love. Now here's my prayer, and here's a prayer that you can pray with me. We begin the day, and each day, and we come before the Lord and start that day. We ask the Lord, Lord, help me to do that right thing to do that next thing that you're calling me to do. And doing that right thing is how I'm going to love those around me, not just in word and speech, but in truth and action. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us, not just in words, Lord, not just in speech, but you loved us by giving up yourself for us. You are that atoning sacrifice. And Lord, teach us a greater understanding of that love. Help us, Lord, be a people who do the thing that you're calling us to do as we encounter those around us. Now, if you're here, that relationship, that fellowship he calls us to is, is, is by grace through faith. We're given this gift of eternal life through the Son to the Father, but we have to turn where we've left him out of our life and we've rejected God. See, the world does that. But kingdom people ask him to come into their life to be changed and transformed, to become that child of God. He's calling you to that place, but we have to receive it. And that's something that changes eternal. That's the uniqueness in Christ that we have is when we come to that relationship. So he makes an invitation. That's what he did for us. He makes an invitation for you to come. And that's your heart. And I don't know where your heart's at. For those who are watching online or for those who are here right now, but I know God loves you and he wants your whole heart. But you have to decide if you're going to turn it and give it to him. And if you don't know him in that way, if you have not made that decision, I want to pray with you right now. Whether you're in person or online, you can pray with me. And you can ask the Lord into your life that way. And then you could see the exceedingly and more abundantly awesome, incredible things he has in store for you now and for all eternity. If you'd like to pray with me to know him in that way, you could just repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I thank you for dying on a cross for my sin. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come in. Take control of my life and make me the person you want me to be. In Jesus' name.
Now, if you prayed, whether online or in person, the most important thing to do is you have to let someone know. You begin to walk this in relationship, in fellowship. And if you're online, you can click a button and let us know. If you're in person, on your way out, you could stop by one of the hosts and just say, I prayed that prayer. Because what we want to do is come alongside of you. We're committed on this pathway of discipleship that you'll discover God's perfect purpose and plan to be lived out for your life. Amen? Peace of the Lord be with you. Just acknowledge one another with a sign of God's peace. Peace. Peace.